0: Get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at Jace Medical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 416 with Ashley Abercrombie. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 416. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. Ashley Abercrombie fought to overcome addiction, rape, abortion, perfectionism, and dysfunctional relationships to become an honest, whole, and free woman most days. She wore a mask more than half her life and considers herself too old and too annoyed to ever put that thing on again. Ashley is a speaker and a writer featured in many magazines and digital outlets. Her U-version Bible study, Finding God in the Hard Places, has been completed by over 200,000 people. Her first book will be released in the fall of 2019 with Baker Books. Alongside fellow author and speaker Tiffany Bloom, Ashley is the co-host for the hilarious and helpful podcast Why Though. These two are an amazing dynamic duo. Tiffany has been on the show as well. These two together, it's a lot in all the best ways. Like it's a lot, but you also want more. (laughs) They're so great. Ashley has an unrelenting passion for justice, particularly anti-human trafficking and mass incarceration initiatives, and served the city of Los Angeles for seven years, winning commendations from the LAPD and the LA mayor's office before transitioning to Manhattan to pastor at Liberty Church downtown, alongside her husband, Cody. Ashley is an executive board member of Treasures, a nonprofit that teaches and supports women in the sex industry and victims of sexual exploitation while training leaders globally. Ashley and her husband are nearly brain dead from sleep deprivation, but they love their life, raising two incredible sons, Levi, age five and Lucas, age two, in their beautiful neighborhood in Harlem, New York. I loved this conversation with Ashley. I need more Ashley Abercrombie in my life for sure. I'm so excited to share the conversation with you. I know that she is going to light you up. She's going to lift your spirits. She's going to teach you and preach to you. She is All things good wrapped up in a fast-talking package, (laughs) which you know I love a fast talker. So listen in to hear Ashley share how she gave up her PhD and pretending her life was great and got honest about her story and proudly owning it. Also, how to stop pretending and performing for others in your life. She's gonna talk about how enduring an eating disorder addiction, sexual assault, and abortion led her to her current place of grace in life. She'll share how our secrets inevitably lead to self-harm. She'll talk about the benefits of adjusting your expectations every morning instead of assuming that every day will be great. She shares the exact action that she takes to be honest with herself every damn day and the beauty of recognizing the notion that time is your friend. She will also share why a day of rest is essential as a family and how to have more holy gumption in order to live your best, most spirited life. I love this conversation. I know you will too. I'm so excited, so honored to introduce you to Ashley Abercrombie. Ashley, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm super excited to have you here today.
1: Sarah, I am so excited to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. We are going to have a lot of fun. I have to
0: tell listeners how we got connected. So we got connected through Tiffany Bloom, who was back on episode 322. And Tiffany reached out to me and she's like, you need to have my girl Ashley on the show. And you and Tiffany co-host a show together, correct?
1: We do it's called why though yes yes
0: you always have really great graphics to go with it like I get totally sucked into the graphics I love it thank you so I want everyone to follow you both on social media on Instagram and like watch all your graphics and read them so but Tiffany has amazing energy and the second we got on this morning I was like oh Ashley has the identical energy so I could see why you would be amazing together
1: <laughs> thank you we do love each other so much ten years of history will give you a lot of good chemistry I think <laughs>
0: oh my gosh and I I think it's fun to tell people that one of the things I noted is Tiffany actually lives near me in the greater Seattle area. You're over on the East Coast. So I was like, how are you guys like super tight friends when you live on opposite coasts? And you said that you met in an event and just hit it off and have maintained a friendship since then.
1: Yes, I absolutely fell in love with Tiffany. And her spirit is just so full of life and joy and light. And it was wonderful. She's so great at light and shade, you know, like can be really deep and then also make you laugh. And I just really drive with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: And I think that's a great example of like modern day friendship is I think sometimes we think we need to find like our neighbors to be our friends and great if you have that or can find that. Yeah. But also you can find friends from all over the place and have kind of... Of non-conventional modern friendships that are just as meaningful. You can have a best friend on the other side of the country and it can totally fill you up.
1: I wholeheartedly agree. And in fact, it's a lifeline to me to be able to have friends. Yes. And thank God for technology, you know, Marco Polo and (laughs) and you know, all the things that we have at our fingertips. And for me, it's more about developing friendships with common values and perspectives on life, even though that's rich in diversity too. It's so great when you have people who just get you. And so I'm committed to that more than I'm committed to them living down the street from me. (laughs) I agree. I feel the same. I love it.
0: Okay. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamic of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now.
1: Yes. Okay. So I am a writer and a speaker. That's what I do full time. I'm also a mom. And so I have two little boys at home, which just means, honestly, I'm just very tired. That's all that means.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you have to tell everyone how old your boys are because that will elicit lots of sympathy for the fatigue.
1: Yes. And I will take all the sympathy that you have for me because they are two and a half and five. And so, you know, no one's getting any sleep around here. And I feel like, am I spending more time telling them no or spending more time loving them? You know, like, what am I really doing with my life? (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah. So I just love to write. That's been the through line of my life. I started writing when I was a little girl and it was always my side hustle, like something that I always made time for because I loved it so much. And then about a year and a half ago, it became my full time job when I received a two book Deal to write my first and my second book, and so now I do that full time and love it. I really, really love the flexibility it gives me with my kiddos and with our family life and dynamics in the city. I think it's been really good for us. Amazing.
0: I have to like just diverge for a moment and ask you about. I just got a two book deal and I was able to like, quit my job and now I'm a full time writer. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so lovely. <laughs> and I'm curious if it was that clean and simple. No way. Was this something you'd been working toward for a long time, like an?
1: to make work someday or make happen someday? 100%. I mean, I like I said, I've been writing since I was a kid. So it's been a 20-year dream for me. And anybody out there who has had a dream in their heart or something that you do on the side that you really love and hope one day could be your main source of income or the thing that you wake up every day to do. I mean, I was you. I've done so many day jobs to get to my dream job. It's not even funny. <laughs> and it was a very, very long process of consistency and character and just getting up and doing the thing that I love to do, even if it was sneaking it in at a nap time or sneaking it at nighttime or very early in the mornings or on a lunch break at work. Like it's just something I deeply committed myself to for 20 years. And so when I received a book deal, it was such a huge life giving accomplishment and a true dream come true.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I so appreciate the backstory on that. Because I think we on the internet, we see people who get book deals and do things like that. And we're like, Oh, my gosh, it just happened. And to your point, yes, it's 20 years of showing up. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks a lot about that, too. She's like, I think she says it took her like 30 years to retire from multiple day jobs before she could be all in on writing and look where she's at now. So
1: that's right. So encouraging.
0: <laughs> so I want to dig into your story. You share some difficult moments of your life in the first chapter of your new book, Rise of the Truth Teller. And you talk about the power of a story. Mm-hmm. How have you seen the past hinder the present in the future? And how did you begin to own your own
1: story? What a beautiful question. So, you know, I come from a background like all of us. I have a past and mine might be more intense than some. It might be less intense than others, but I come from a background of eating disorders and addiction to drugs and alcohol and just a real, real struggle with dealing with my past and facing the fears that were in my life and facing down some of the things that had happened to me, like sexual assault. So I had an abortion and just went through some real True hell in my life. And I think for me, one of the biggest things is that I had to give up, you know, my PhD in pretending and actually become a real person who had issues, problems, and pain like the rest of the people on earth. I didn't realize that you didn't have to stick all of your issues down somewhere where you didn't have to deal with them. I didn't realize that you didn't have to lie to live. And so for me, it's been this real journey of going, man, the more honest that I get in my life, the more rich and meaningful my relationships come, the more rich and meaningful my life becomes. And the freer of shame I become. And so it's been a real joy, difficult, difficult, hard work of, you know, therapy and support groups and recovery work and abiding in deep, rich relationships where I'm known and am allowed and privileged to know others. So it's been a joy, but it's also been a lot of hard work to be a person who's free and who's whole from those things. And I'm so glad I did that work. And I think the owning the story part, how that happened for me was that I just decided to be courageous. I had a dear friend in my life and she called me and she said, how are you? And I did, you know, the typical response. Fine, fine. I'm great. And because I was the kind of person who people always came to for advice or came to to sort of, you know, share what was going on with them, I very easily and quickly turned the tables and began to ask her about her day. How was her day going? What was happening with her? How's her life? And I really shared nothing in the conversation and invited her to share everything in the conversation. And so I was very bad at reciprocity, but she saw right through me and she showed up at my door 10 minutes later, knocking on the door. And when I saw her, I fell into the floor just crying because I realized, you know what? She's showing up for me and I had never really allowed people to show up for me and when she did that, it taught me that I could be broken and still be loved and that I could have things going on in my past and my history and still people would love me and not reject me. And they would accept me for who I am and for what I've gone through, the mistakes I've made and the things that have happened to me. And that was so encouraging. And it just started the process of me beginning to take my mask off and get honest about my life, where I had been and where I wanted to go. And, you know, I'm still deeply committed to that journey. It's not like I don't ever still see struggle with image management, you know, like, I think it's, you know, a way, oh my gosh, it's a major temptation of us, right? Like, yeah, to manage our image, instead of walking in integrity and being honest about our life. And so I have to choose this every day still. But I have different struggles than I did 20 years ago, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You talk about, I mean, almost like casually mentioned this list, of <laughs> massive life events that you've endured. And I'm curious, as you went through all of those things, was it just getting through each thing and it sounds a little bit like getting through it, stuffing it down until it just got to be too much? Or was did most of those things happen kind of in one sphere at, around one time in your life and then you move forward from there?
1: Yeah. Well, I was raised in the South and I love the South where I was raised. It's so great. The small town that I was a part of just loved being in community with others in that capacity. At the same time, I really learned to value wearing a mask in the environment that I was raised in. I was steeped in this culture where you don't talk about anything, where you don't really share what's happening with you, where you just smile and pretend and be nice and look pretty. And that's what your requirements are as a female, you know? And so I think I really had to unlearn some of those behaviors. And so some of that is for familial over the years, like different things happening culturally in our town and in our community that just sort of taught me whatever pain you have, whatever anger you have, whatever fear you have, that's not what you talk about. You just keep it positive and happy. And so when things started happening to me, this was in my college years that I really went through all the hell, you know, the addiction started, you know, that's when I was sexually assaulted. That's when I chose to have an abortion. And so I think during that period of time in my life, I had been so conditioned to not be honest and so conditioned to wear a mask that I, absolutely just would wake up and pretend like nothing was happening in that couple of years. And it crashed on me. You know, you can only hold that together for so long. Yeah. And at that point, I was in so much pain, like when I finally decided to open up to my friend who knocked on my door, and I just started telling her everything, you know, it was because I was at the end of myself. It's like, I can't the dam is breaking, you know, like I cannot hold this together anymore. It's got to come out of me or I'm going to continue to hurt myself because anytime we hold a secret in, it makes us sick. And I'm a firm believer that stories make us well. The more we own our story, the more we share our story, the healthier we become and we cultivate health around us because people have freedom to do the same. And that's
2: powerful. Absolutely. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter-Free,
0: And I think for women, especially, I mean, I guess this is for men too. I just only have experienced it as a woman and with other women. But I think the more we share our stories, the more we give other women permission to share stories. And more powerfully, I think the more we create opportunities for other women to say, Oh my gosh, I've been there and me too. And I totally get it. And I think that we think that we're so alone in our stories. And then when we start sharing, we recognize, and I'm so grateful for, you know, the Me Too movement and other movements who brought this to light. But when we start to share a little bit, we recognize that a lot of the things that we think keep us really isolated actually have impacted so many yes. and there's a lot of power in being able to come together in that and even if you have something that's different you know maybe one person had an eating disorder another person had an abortion hugely traumatic phases in one's life regardless and so even if you share two things that are very different you can absolutely bond and connect over these massive life trials
1: One hundred percent. I mean, there's so much power in solidarity and so much exhale in realizing that you're not alone because so much of the reason that our behavior gets perpetuated is because we feel so isolated and we feel like we're the only ones. And that allows us to keep showing up, pretending and performing instead of really engaging in our own life. And we can't show up honestly when we believe that we have to pretend and perform. And it's like, man, I know as females in general, we do get conditioned much more than in society to pretend and perform. But I think we have to bump against that narrative in a powerful way. It's like, no, I'm not a circus monkey, you know, like, I actually am a real person who's going through real things. And I can do a wonderful job and have massive capacity. But at the same time, I'm a person and we have to give ourselves permission to be there and, you know, allow that space for others as well. And you're right, it makes us stronger. It makes us better. It makes us more communal in this individualistic world we're living in. We are responsible to cultivate community instead of continuing to perpetuate the isolating norms.
0: Yeah, I also want to touch on something that because this is the second time it's come up recently in an interview, and something I wasn't super aware of, because it seems old fashioned to me. But Mm. you mentioned being from the South and how women are conditioned in the South to really, you know, keep up that smile, just be happy, you know, maintain that perfect, happy face and positive attitude. So I'm up in Seattle, it's not really like that. I mean, I think that there's image pressure, don't get me wrong. But I think there's more pressure to look like extremely politically correct and involved and engaged and like all those things. So it's different up here for sure. And I'm wondering for you coming from the South, but having also lived in LA and New York, like were those living in other cities part of what was what allowed you to move into a different phase of being able to share and be more open? Because that must have been those are like, it sounds like very different cultures.
1: Yeah, they really were. And I actually do think it was part of being in a new city and a new space and being without family and being without people who really knew me gave me the opportunity to sort of start fresh. Like no one really knows me. So there's no anonymity. Yes. And also the lack of expectations about who I should be and what I should do and what I should value and, you know, what kind of person I need to be in the world, what job should I have? Like those norms, I was able to not have them anymore. But I will say one thing I appreciate so much about the Southern culture is even though there is that pressure, it's also where I learned to be kind to everyone. It's where I learned to value human life for real not just because it would look good if I did it, but actually because you are supposed to love your neighbor. Like, obviously, this is what you do, you know, (laughs) and you're kind to people and you show up with a casserole when someone's had a baby or when somebody's mom died. Like, so I feel like there were communal things I took away from that that were really beautiful and deeply impactful and carried them with me to each of the cities I've been in. But yes, there was a lot more freedom when nobody knows you, you know, to be able to be yourself and to take responsibility for your life in a new, fresh way.
0: Totally and now do you take casseroles to people in Harlem New York on a regular
1: basis You know what I do now is I've send them via seamless which could be like a grubhub or whatever you use for your delivery service yeah totally I'll be like hey I'm sending you a meal and I'll come visit the baby tomorrow
0: <laughs> I love it that's so awesome that's so awesome my mom is like a, we have no connection to the South but my mom's a big casserole person she loves a casserole anything that she can add some cream of mushroom soup to and my husband loves it too he's like why don't you make casseroles with cream of mushroom soup? I'm like, is this 1952? What are you even talking about?
1: <laughs> I'm here for it. I love it all. So, funny.
0: <laughs> so you say that your secrets make you sick. How did you determine to get honest with yourself and honest with others? And how do you continue to practice that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure many of us have heard this saying, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I mean, isn't it just true? Like you get to this point where, you know, it would hurt worse for you to stay the same than it would for you to change. And I feel like I really hit that place where I was like, I'm doing so much self-harm. I cannot move forward in my life. My addictions have completely overtaken my perspective, colored the way I view the world, and I need to do like the real work of healing. And so I think that, taking those bold steps to get help and taking those bold steps to go, you know what, this is not actually what I want for my life. It's not what I pictured. And while we all have those disappointing days, you know, where we recognize, like, this is not what I hoped it would be for me. It was really about going, you know what, I need to make some strong choices in my life to get honest, to get real and to move forward with strength because I was created for more, you know, like I was made for more than what I was settling for.
0: And on a really concrete level, what does that look like on a daily basis? I think there's, you know, I love the idea of like, I'm going to be my most authentic self. But then, like, how does that actually show up in our actions in a new and different way? Because I think that there's a lot of women who have these desires, but they don't know how to put it into action. And that can be the scary part.
1: Oh my gosh, I really, really love this question because as a person with 16 years in recovery, I've had to really work the steps. You know, I've had to show up every single day and be honest. And you know, the first step is about not being in denial. So I try to wake up every day and be honest about myself and about my life. I also try to create for myself a rhythm of imperfection. Like I kind of wake up in the morning and I don't expect my plans to fail, but I do expect things to not go the way I planned them. And so it settles me into this place where I'm like, okay, things are not going to go exactly the way I hope today. And because of that, I can adjust my expectations to still have a great day. Because I think sometimes we spiral because, you know, things didn't go the way we planned, or we hoped we could do this or that, and it doesn't work out. And we feel stuck somewhere between, you know, the disillusionment of our disappointment and what we hoped would be a fulfilled reality. And we're like, Oh, the gap is so wide between what I hope for and what is real. And so I think I try to live knowing that imperfections happen, knowing that I'm not going to get everything right today, knowing it's possible I might scream at my kids for whatever might happen today knowing it's possible I'm going to have a conflict or something's going to go differently or somebody's going to be running late to a meeting. It's going to make me late. It's going to set my day off. So I just try to think about, okay, life's not perfect. And I can respond to this in a healthy life giving way. And if everything doesn't get accomplished today that I hoped to get accomplished today, and especially as a high achiever, that's hard for me. I can still go, you know what? That's alright. It was a great day. I gave it my best and that's enough. And then I think the last thing I practice on a daily basis, that is my one like lifeline, I would say if I did not have this in my life, there is no way I could live as a healthy person. And that is having friendship. I mean, having deep relationship that's meaningful where people really know me and I really know them. And I work at that because it is work. And especially now that we have two kids, we're both working. It's not like we have a ton of time on our hands, but no one's going to carve out that time for me. So I have to constantly go, who are my closest? What are the reciprocal life-giving relationships that I have? And how can I honor those today? What phone call do I need to make? How can I grab a coffee with somebody this month so that we can connect and really talk and share what's going on in our life. And making space for relationship is the thing that really propels me forward in my purpose. So even if it's just like chasing kids in a park, because that's the best we can do this week, at least it's some social touch in person, you know, and I think digital age has really gotten us to this place where, you know, not only are we becoming more increasingly polarized and divided, but we're also losing that social touch. Like so much of what we experience nowadays is on our phone, <laughs> on our laptop, and I think it's in important that we really value that in-person connect time because it is what makes us better. It allows us to flourish in integrity and wholeness.
0: Totally. Absolutely. I love the idea of waking up and immediately acknowledging today's might not be awesome today. Like Some things are going to go wrong today. I have big goals, big dreams, and also some of them are going to blow up on me. Like I just think, especially when you are in that phase of having a two and a five-year-old, and I know so many of our listeners are in that place of like two littles where they wake up. And I think this is especially prevalent when you decide to make a big change, where you're like, starting today, I'm gonna go running every day, and I'm gonna journal every day, and I'm gonna meditate. And then, like, one kid gets sick, the other kid is like having a meltdown about something. Your husband has to travel for work, and you're like, cool, I can't do any of the things that I just said were my biggest dreams this week. <laughs> and, yes, yeah, and so to be prepared for that, to be prepared for that things are gonna fall apart all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and that you can still have a great day in spite of that. Like, you can constantly be reframing expectations so that it can still kind of consider the day a success, even when the thing that, you know, your top three action items didn't get done. <laughs>
1: Yes, that's such a beautiful way to say that. I had a mentor one time say to me, and he was like thirty years my senior and he said to me, You know what? Time is your friend. Mm. And I really realized, man, I'm always in a hurry and I've got to get it done. And this is happening. I'm da-da-da-da-da. And I think because I was more hardwired for that, I didn't do exactly what you're saying. It's like it's not all lost just because this didn't get done today. Like time is my friend. <laughs> it's okay.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so powerful. And I think for high achiever kind of people, which I definitely done with, and I know that a lot of our listeners do, we feel like we're racing time constantly. And we're like, I mean, even like before this interview, before any interview I do, I'm like, maybe I could do three more things in the next 90 seconds before I get on Skype. (laughs) And so I love the idea of thinking that time is your friend, because I think in motherhood and in perfectionism and in high achievement, it doesn't always feel that way. And I think that mental reframe could probably create so much spaciousness and like healthier mental health.
1: Yes, it certainly has for me, honestly. And it just helps me not spend my day in disappointment. You know, you can do a tailspin, and then that affects your behavior and how you respond to that and what your life looks like. So yeah, it's a huge help for us to really recognize like life's not perfect. It's not supposed to be. Why are we setting perfection as our goal? What the heck?
0: (laughs) Just to torture ourselves. We're really, really good at it. It's true. That
1: actually is true.
0: (laughs) So you talk a lot about speaking of perfection, you talk a lot about the ideal of perfection and how to stop pretending and performing to live free without shame. So how do you keep breaking that cycle in your daily life?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, again, I think this points back to relationship. And I know I'm really harping on this. But when you have friends in your life, I know for me personally, they can see me and go, yeah, so today was a bad day. Or yes, you screwed that up. Or actually, that person's actions absolutely impacted what you're able to achieve or what you're able to get done or how you're feeling about your life today. But you're awesome. And you can do this. You know, <laughs> So I think friendship is so powerful in making sure that we're not perfect. And also other people, laughing at us in a sweet way, but when you're like, okay, superwoman, I'm glad you had 90 things on your list, but like, you're not going to do that. You know, what are you doing? And so I think people help us remember like our true capacity, our true gifting. They see us for who we want to be and also who we're trying to be, but then they also are very real with us in our imperfections and they love us right there. And that gives us great courage to not have to be perfect. you know?
0: Yes. And I think when we are in connection with other people, we have the opportunity to see ourselves through their eyes, which can be so powerful. Because I think when we're in a vacuum on our own, and I can speak to this as like someone who works from home all day by myself in a vacuum, (laughs) that you can spend a lot of the day, you know, if one thing happens, it's easy to get distracted and sometimes distraught and just be like, let it kind of dictate the vibe of the day. And When we have the opportunity to connect with other people and we see ourselves through their eyes and see our day through their eyes, all of a sudden we're like, how can I just get the heck out of my own way? Like, this is ridiculous that I got tripped up on this thing and it took over so much of my day and my energy and my time today.
1: Yes, I love that. You said that so well, because that's what we have friends for. (laughs) And we need it. Yeah. And also I think friends like help us, you know, in those moments where we are, like, can somebody please come over so I can take a shower? Okay, it's been three days. Like I need a friend to come over and do that, you know, and that is us allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and share what we need. Like how true friendships requires you to name what you want, think, need and feel. Mm -hmm. And I think for some of us, especially moms, you're just steamrolling through your day trying to get to bedtime or nap time or whatever it might be yeah and you don't stop to acknowledge what do I need what do I want what do I think what do I feel and I think friends really help us do that and they are able to show up for us and we are able to show up for them and that is really life-giving Yes, absolutely.
0: And I would say that goes for partners as well. Because I think that we also sometimes are not super transparent with our partners. I think sometimes we do the same thing like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. It's fine. And especially like thinking, you know, in a busy evening schedule where you're trying to make dinner and there's a kid screaming and you're like, I don't have time to sit here and tell you about my feelings from the day or process like the annoying (laughs) phone call I had. You're just like, I'm fine. But to actually take some time to discuss your day or your feelings or what have you at some point later in the day, or even if it's a, a weekly recap, maybe, but to do that because I think it's important that we also have those moments of vulnerability with our partners and I know for me back to high achievement that I will blow through days sometimes and I'll get to a point with my husband where I'll have to be like you know I haven't said anything in like two weeks but just know that like things are really stressful right now (laughs) yeah and so if I feel edgy it's because I'm really anxious about some things or things feel really overwhelming and I a lot of times will just internalize that and then just be like a little tense in my interactions with him without telling him why. And then I have to get to this point of like, I'm not being fair. Like I need to be like, just so that, you know, I recognize that I'm being a little high strung and this is why, and it's not you and here's how you can help and all those things.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful, Sarah. You know, my husband and I teach a ton of premarital classes because oh, you do look, we do. And we love it. I mean, we really love it. But this is one of the things another mentor couple gave to us, and they've been married for 40 years. But statistics say that if couples take 10 minutes a day, and that's literally just like when they first greet each other, or maybe it's a little later, they took 10 minutes a day to just connect, just look at each other face to face. Maybe it's not even something serious. It's just unpacking the day or laughing about something, or maybe it is something serious. 10 minutes, you're 80% more likely to stay married over the long haul and stay connected. And then if couples do it for 20 minutes a day, it bumps it all the way up to like 95% more likely to stay together and stay connected over the long haul. And I think that we're all looking for that in our partnerships, you know, so it's amazing what you just said, that quick connection, even if it's just like, it's been so stressful and crazy. I love you. Like I'm good, but I'm having a hard time. And then you keep it moving, but that it allows for flourishing connection. And that's what we want. Not perfect connection, but just like we are connected. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
5: I will say, so my son now is seven
0: and you know, one would think that bedtime routine would be, we would have it down pat now, but we don't. And <laughs> So I find that we have these nights where if bedtime routine goes really well and smoothly, and this child stays in bed for any length of time, that we will take that 10 minutes before we dive into like, let's like lay on the couch and watch a show or what, do take care of household tasks or whatever. And that connection, it's typically like light and easy and fun, and it does feel really good. I can absolutely understand that and relate to that research. But I also find that we go through phases where like if bedtime feels really hard and we both get a little bit fried with our patients, that by the time he's like finally in bed, we're just like turn on the TV. Like we're not angry with each other, but we're just like, I don't have any capacity to have conversation right now. And so those statistics make a ton
1: of sense. I wholeheartedly agree. And sometimes that is the connection, right? We do that all the time. I'm like, I had a sweet potato thrown at my head like six times during this meal. <laughs> I to, talk to you. Like, I just want to sit here and say nothing. And I think that's still connection. You know, it's like we're in this together. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. So funny. So relatable.
0: Sweet potatoes being thrown at the head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so rest and the Sabbath are a big part of your life. What advice do you have for those who find it hard to take a day of rest? And what did you and your husband have to do to change your thought process around this?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we had a very hard time with resting, both of us. And we realized this is going to kill us, not only personally, but it's probably going to kill our relationship. And so we needed to make some really strong changes. I think that the discipline of having to have a day where I don't do anything has really made me realize how much I'm not in control of. And that has been a really good thing for me, because I think before taking a Sabbath and having a day of rest every single week, I really felt like I was holding the whole world up, like if I didn't do this, or I didn't take care of that, or if If I took a day off, then like what in the world would happen, you know, as if I'm just the glue of the whole universe, you know, and you're not. I'm not, we're not the glue of the universe. We cannot possibly hold all this together. And that's too much pressure for one person. And so we began to take that time out. And obviously now having had kids, cause that was almost 10 years ago that we did that. But now having had kids, you know, it's not like you get to sleep in, you know? And if I want to go see a movie together with my partner, then what do I have to do? I have to spend $150 on babysitting and then another $150 at the movie theater. You're like, well, okay, Well, I'm out three hundred $100. Yeah. So New York and Seattle pricing are very comparable for both of those things. <laughs> (laughs) Uh It's like ridiculous. And so I feel like, you know, resting looks very different, you know, now that we have children, but we still have the discipline of it. And what it means to really rest, what it means to have a Sabbath to take 24 hours out means that I'm doing only things that I want to do and not things that I have to do. So for my husband, for example, on a Sabbath, he loves to do laundry and get the house cleaned up because it actually makes him feel like he can rest. And I'm the opposite. I don't want to touch a single household chore the entire time I'm resting. Like I don't want to see any laundry. I don't want to fold any laundry. I don't want to think about cleaning a toilet. No, thanks. You know, So we have very different ways that we rest. And that's true for everyone. But we both had to find what are the things that are life-giving? What are the things that are replenishing? And how can I meditate on this day and think about how I don't have to be the glue of the universe, that everything doesn't depend on me, that actually it depends on a lot of different factors. And I am one part of this giant puzzle, not only in my own home and in my own sphere of influence, but in this beautiful planet we live on. Like I'm just one small part and I don't have to do it all or be it all. That's not what is required of me and that has really changed our lives
0: <laughs> yeah so a couple follow-up questions about that so first is your sabbath always on the weekend and always on a sunday or does it shift and do you all do it have like the same day that you pick for a day of rest
1: Oh, such a good question. So everybody's family is different, but how we do it in ours is we try to have this happens almost every week. And I say almost because we try to have rhythms of life instead of standards, because I really buckle under the pressure of a standard. And then I start feeling really guilty if I didn't do it that week. So we have a family rhythm where we do dinner together on Friday nights. And sometimes that's just ordering food and putting it on the table and lighting a few candles and all four of us eat together. And then we put the kids down for bed and we'll do something together at home. You know, that might be watching a movie, might be watching a show, it might be dialoguing like who knows, having, you know, whatever it might be. And then the next day, the Saturday, is actually our time for rest. And so we spend that day, you know, as a family. We might go to the park or we might walk around. And then Cody. Uh, my husband will usually take some time to himself that day. And then I will take the kids. I mean, then he'll take the kids and then I will have some time to myself that day. So we make sure we do some things together. And we also make sure that we create a little room for solitude, which is very important to me. Yeah, I mean, that so desperately. I'm not an extrovert. I'm most definitely the introvert of the family. So I need some time alone on that rest day.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, oh, that like layout is so helpful to hear. And I'm curious, how does it feel when <laughs> so when you and your partner have different things that feel good in rest. And so you're saying like, my husband loves to do laundry and like do chores. And then like, I'm curious if there has ever been an issue where you're like, cool, you go do that. I'm just going to be laying on the couch, taking a nap. (laughs) Because I could imagine that in some partnerships that might be problematic.
1: Yes. So we are huge fans of just open communication. And I know that that's a journey for everybody in their partnership. You know, you don't just start from that place where it's like, I'm just going to share what I'm thinking. You know, everybody has to make that journey together, but we definitely are open communicators. So I will sometimes ask him if he seems like he's just really, you know, he's doing a little bit of vacuuming. He wants to, you know, straighten up the house and I'm just like, Hey, I'm just going to sit here and read my Kindle. Like, are you good with that? And I'll just ask him, he's like, totally. Like this is part of my process. I'm good. And then we try not to put unhealthy expectations on one another. Like, I don't want him to behave like me on my Sabbath. (laughs) He doesn't want me to behave like him. So we also have to release the pressure off of one another so I can let him rest the way he wants to rest and I can rest the way that I want to rest. And then we do a few things together as well. So I think you have to make a commitment to open... Dialogue and also again it points back to what do you want, what do you think, what do you need, what do you feel, because when you're clear on those things in your partnership and you share those things together, then you can both show up for each other and you can both give each other space. But if you haven't clearly communicated those things, then there's a lot more room for fighting or misunderstanding or perhaps projecting what you might think about what somebody's doing on top of them. So we really have to be great communicators in our partners.
0: Yeah, I love that. Oh, super helpful. And it's like so interesting too, just the different ways that people rest and that and how that could be misunderstood if you're like today's our rest day and i'm going to vacuum the whole house and you're just going to watch football (laughs) what (laughs) so yeah that communication is so so key yes it is Tell us what is holy gumption and how would you encourage women to discover their unique contributions to the world?
1: Mm. So holy gumption, you know, gumption is just like the spirited shrewdness. (laughs) So I love that definition. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Isn't it awesome? Yes. And I think that we need that spirited shrewdness, that gumption in our day to day life. And sometimes we think about people being brave or we think about people being courageous. And we imagine like the most extreme examples, like maybe you think of Oprah or, you know, maybe you think of Brene Brown or you might think of Martin. Luther King Jr. I mean, who knows what you might think of when you think of courageous images? But when I think about gumption, I think about, man, you know, moms who are at home with their kids. Like, sometimes you can feel like, what kind of gumption do I need here? You know, like my whole life is changing diapers and sitting with these kids and feeding them meals. (laughs) Sometimes it can feel so discouraging. But when I think about gumption again, I think about what is your day to day life? Are you running a company? Are you with your kids all day? Are you, you know, working within your neighborhood context? Are you performing some sort of civic responsibility to the world. What is it that you're doing? Because we need your spirited shrewdness right there. And we were created, each of us, with this unique capacity to make a contribution to the world, and it matters. And we are not the same without everybody able to show up and be who they were created to be and live the life that they want to live. And so gumption is just that. It matters no matter where you are, this holy gumption. You grab on to the spirit of shrewdness to get up and do what needs to be done and say what needs to be said and offer for your unique contribution to the world because we need it.
0: Yes, absolutely. What is your unique contribution to the world?
1: Oh, I love this question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. You know what? I think Gosh, I, I feel like I would want to sit with that longer than I'm going to, obviously. <laughs> I
0: know, I totally surprised you. <laughs> it's very profound, so I hope you make the right choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> I think one of the things I offer to the world is that I'm able to arrive in situations and have an understanding for the other person. And here's what I mean. I can create safe space for others. And I think that's a real gift in the world that we're living in. It's not unusual for me to be in a Starbucks or for me to be in the grocery store and somebody just open up to me in the aisle about something happening in their life. You know, I just am a person who's able to create safe space for people and to suspend judgment um, so that they can be where they are and be who they are. And, you know, I think that's what's allowed me to be a prison chaplain, you know, formerly when I lived in Los Angeles. And it also allows me to write in a way that's like, hey, there's no formula for any of this. We're all just trying to figure this out, you know? And I think it provides safe space for people to be themselves and to not be perfect and to not have everything figured out to journey forward.
0: I love it. So, so good. So and that is an amazing, unique contribution. And definitely not everyone's gift. Like we need like to your point that everyone needs to like share their own gifts and let their gifts shine through because we need all of them. Right. And so we need more people who are able to connect with someone in a grocery line. (laughs) And and then that takes the pressure off those of us who are not able to do that. (laughs) Like, thank goodness for the lady with the red bag back there who's able to help this other person. out That's exactly right.
1: That's why we need each other.
0: <laughs> right, right. I want to know in what ways you are currently showing up as a shameless mom.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know what, I'm just being very honest in my motherhood. And Obviously, that's a theme of this whole conversation. But I'm being very honest. Like I, you know, have very frustrated about parenting, or I'm very frustrated. Have a difficult moment with my son. Instead of letting myself spiral in guilt and shame about that, like I shouldn't have yelled at him, I shouldn't have said this. I wish I had handled that differently. You know, I'm learning to take responsibility, to say sorry, and to just own what you know what I might have said and how I could do it differently. And I've learned that that has helped me change in motherhood. Is when I just show up honestly and. take responsibility and say sorry. So that's how I'm living as a shameless mom.
0: I love that and I am doing the same and this is a new practice for me. Like I'm just Yeah not that I've never made a mistake before in motherhood, but I'm kind of in this new phase of needing to uh, like own some of my not awesome behavior with my child because he's old enough to really understand. And I recently made like a really bad I tried to this is a funny story, so I'll share it briefly, but we got home one night at like five o'clock and everyone's tired and hungry and I just for no reason was like, you know, I think we need to start like reading every night before dinner. And he was like, what? <laughs> then, so we're all starving and cranky already and, and tired. And and I'm like, yeah, so why don't you just go read for 20 minutes? And he was like, what? Like, But can I watch a show or play Legos or like the things he usually does after school? And I'm like, no, I think you should read first. And he was... And in my mind, I had thought of it because it was library day and he'd just gotten a new library book. And I was like, this is the perfect time. But my husband was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, You can't just like (laughs) on the middle of a Wednesday, be like, we're going to change the evening routine. Totally. Especially with this child that we had been blessed with. And so, and I got so frustrated with him. I was like, you don't just get to come home and pick what you do all the time and blah, blah, blah. And then after dinner, yep, I had so been there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like literally the minute we'd each had a bite of, food, I was like, that was a really bad call. (laughs) My husband was like, yeah, really bad call. And Vinny was like, Yeah, do I still have to read after school every day? And I was like, well eventually yes, but
1: not today. (laughs) Yes. You're like, come have a bite to eat. Mom was on one. I'm so sorry.
0: So yeah, so I did have to totally be like, Vinny, I totally didn't think through when I brought up an idea. And it, I didn't state it very well. And I got really impatient. I was really hungry. And you were really like, it's the whole thing. But it was a really great opportunity, especially because I have a child who I think tends to be pretty perfectionistic and high achieving, like myself. It was I'm constantly looking for ways to show to model making mistakes, because I think that he thinks that we don't make mistakes as grown ups, And so at the end of the day, I was like, well, now I have something to apologize for to be like, mommy made a mistake. Come look like, let's talk about
1: it. Yes. Oh my gosh. And how powerful. I love that. That was your response. I mean, same for my son is wired so similarly. And so one of like our house mantras, is, it's okay to make mistakes here. It's okay to make a mistake, you know, because I we deal with the exact same thing. Thank you for sharing that.
0: <laughs> yes. I highly encourage everyone to point out to your kids.
1: Oh, look, I made a mistake again. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> like,
0: it Also, lets you take yourself a little less seriously.
1: (laughs) It really does. And like your parenting is not going to live and die on that one moment, you know? That's what's powerful.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Ashley, this has been amazing. I've so appreciated everything that you've shared. Your spirit is so, like, I can feel your energy just right through the microphone. So, this has been amazing. I know it's going to resonate so strongly with our listeners. Tell people where they can find you and connect with you and learn more about you, hear all the stuff that you're doing, et cetera.
1: Okay, awesome. So, well, thank you, Sarah, for having me. I have loved this conversation as well. And you asked amazing questions. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So you can find me on my website at ashabercrombie.org. And over there's lots of fun things you can read, things you can watch, studies you can do. There's all kinds of stuff over there. And then I'm mostly, I really love Instagram. So I'm on there at Ash Abercrombie. I'm on the others as well, but that tends to be my main place to hang out. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Okay. So we'll have that all linked up in the show notes. So people can go to shamelessmom.com, Click on this episode with Ashley Abercrombie and then get all those resources. Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It's been amazing and fun and some good comedy mixed in with some great value. I love it. (laughs) So, so good.
1: So awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah.
0: Mamas, before I let you go, I got to check in. Do you have your ticket to Shameless MomCon 2020? Because if you don't, know that there are only a handful of tickets left. And holy cow, this event is shaping up to be so much fire and magic, I can barely contain myself. I've been on Zoom on video conference calls with my speakers in the last week or so. And damn, they are bringing their A game. Holy cow. Every time I've talked to one of them, I've been like, have goosebumps, tears in my eyes. Like I've been so moved by the content that they are preparing for you. Wow, it is going to be game-changing content. The most recent speaker I was talking to, Gina, the other day, Gina Fresquez is going to be talking to us about fear and the dark side of ambition. And oh my goodness, you do not want to miss this. So all of our speakers are going to be amazing. I'm going to be speaking. I just did my best keynote ever, like transform the room in a matter of 30 minutes, kind of amazing. And I'm going to be doing that again at Shameless MomCon. So if you know that you need your mindset flipped, if you know that you need something to like light you up fuel you, fire you up, get you inspired and motivated to be a better leader, take action in your life, just light a fire under your butt to really start moving towards your dreams and really start building a life that you love with all the spaciousness that you want and all of the joy that you want and all the things that you might feel like are missing because these are the things that are sometimes missing in motherhood, right? Like all the spaciousness and all the joy. Not so much of those things sometimes. Shameless MomCon is for you if you need more joy, more space, all those things, right? And here's the thing. I just got a handful of hot little tickets in my hot little hand, and I would love to put one in your hand. So do not delay. Grab your tickets. Go to shamelessmomcon.com. Get your ticket today. That's shamelessmomcon.com, and I will see you in Seattle on March 26th.